Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Come on, let's put our hands together and welcome all those who are here for the first time. Well, it's my honor to be able to be here and share with you guys today as Pastor Jimmy, our lead pastor, is on his sabbatical for this summer. I get to come and, and share the word with you today and, and tell you about some new things that we do have going on here during the summer. I was texting with Pastor Jimmy a little bit this week, and he's having a great time. His sabbatical is going as planned, and he's getting to spend some time with his family and his children and also getting away and getting to spend some time with the Lord. And so I'm really excited about all the different things that I know we're going to hear about as a church as he comes back. Uh, in a very short time uh, to be able to come back and just download to our church and all of us about some of the amazing things that God's doing in his heart and some of the future and some of the neat things that I know we have coming up. So I just want to get, bring a good word from Jimmy, uh, Pastor Jimmy, and let you know that he's doing great. Uh, and again, it's my honor to be able to share with you today. Uh, I work on staff here at Grace Life Church as the executive pastor and just kind of get to do all the, some of the, all the amazing things that we do and, and kind of some behind the scenes and just move some of this forward as God continues to do great things here at Grace Life. The first thing I want to talk to you about today, uh, if you walked in here uh, in person, if you're joining us online, you can check our website, but there was this little pamphlet on the seat as you walked in. I'm going to go over a couple of the numbers that you see in here. Uh, this is our annual report, and it also shares with you some of the amazing things that's happening here at Grace Life Church in regards to outreach. So if you wanted to pull that up or open that up right now, you could. When you open up the, the first cover here, you see Pastor Jimmy and Ramon, a boom, a picture. That's pretty awesome. Uh, uh, he's written a letter to us uh, as a church, but there's some numbers here that I want to share with you. It's some amazing things that God's doing here at Grace Life. The first thing is, and this number just blows me away, last year in 2022, uh, Grace Life Church, all of us, we have given to missions over a half a million dollars. Uh, so that's fantastic. I'm excited to see that. Absolutely. Yeah, we can celebrate that. That's worth celebrating for sure. Uh, we see we raised over $3,000 for the baby bottle campaign. Uh, you heard about that in the announcements just a few minutes ago on the video. If you want to find out more about that, you can check that out in the lobby. Also, last year, uh, during one of our serve days, we had 1,000 lunches given to the Ronald McDonald House, 850 Thanksgiving meals, 114 Christmas gifts for unaccompanied youth, and 100 book bags with school supplies for the unaccompanied youth. That's pretty awesome. Just some of the highlights. I mean, honestly, we could just go page after page after page. We can only pick a few just to share with you some of the things so you know all that we're doing here at Grace Life Church. If you open it up, again, these numbers are just for 2022, but we see 221 people made Jesus their king in 2022 here at Grace Life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's what, that's what we get up to do, right? We can't wait to see what God's gonna do and bring people into the kingdom. 25 baptisms, 786 first-time guests, 221 attended first step, 221 life group signups, 189 new serve team members. You see some annual growth numbers there on the side. And to be honest with you, all of that is not to make much about the numbers, but it's to make much about what God is doing to show and to share that as we're all investing our lives here at Grace Life Church, that, that God is honoring that and he's blessing that. In fact, if you add in some of the 2023 numbers along with 2022, you get to see some even more amazing things. So far, uh, kind of like the last year, we see that 303 people have made Jesus their king, which is awesome. Uh, just under 100 baptisms, uh, just over 1,000 guest families, and right now we're averaging in attendance between all of our services about 2,000 people. And so God just continues to kind of just blow on what God's doing here. 
And so we're just excited to be a part of it. Uh, I consider it an honor, and I know that you do too, just to be a part of Grace Life. And, and I'm thankful to be able to work with Pastor Jimmy and to see what God's doing here. Uh, you guys also saw in the video that we have a bunch of new things happening in the summer. So we have, uh, one of the things is our summer of serve, and we have different drives that we do. The baby bottles is one of that. And again, you can go to the lobby, check more information out with that. But we also have some serve days coming up over the summer. Now last year, and traditionally, we've only had one serve day every single summer. But last year, so many people came, and we were trying to do so many different outreaches with all of our different ministry partners and projects around Columbia. We decided to do three this year. So in the last Saturday in June and July and August, we're going to have opportunities to join and be a part of those serve days. Uh, everybody that came out to them, which were hundreds of people, were like, could we do more during the summer? Of course, the answer is yes. We want to continue to see what God's doing and, and to partner with great organizations all around Columbia. So really, you can, you can go to the website or you can go to the lobby and sign up for one of those serve days. I think we have uh, already in June, we have about a dozen projects that you can sign up for. You can look through the list and just sign up for the one that you know, connects with you and that makes the most sense for you to do. Uh, many of them, you can include your family. Some of them are limited numbers, but you can check those out on the website. Uh, we'll meet here each one of those days at 9 a.m. at the building, and we'll pray, and we'll just go and, and do God's work in the city that day. So we're excited about that. One of the other things that we have coming up, uh, we're getting ready to launch back some uh, different trips where we, we go to another country, go to another area, we go around the world. The next trip that we're going to be going on is in Puerto Rico, and that team leaves in just about a week and a half, so we're excited about that. That's actually the first time we've, we've left the continental U.S. Uh, since COVID, I believe, as I was asking people here on staff. You know, after COVID and during COVID, it just became difficult to travel, so we're very excited about being able to take uh, trips all around the world, so we're hoping to launch that back and get two and three and four trips again. So as you guys are thinking about that and praying about that, I'd love for you guys to consider going on a trip with us to all different places around the world. In fact, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take just a minute right now and I'm gonna pray for our team that's going to Puerto Rico. So if you would, would you bow your heads and just join me in prayer? Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that we know that you've called us as your church to advance your kingdom all around the planet. So, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to go to Puerto Rico and to be able to serve there, serve local churches there, serve ministry partners there and organizations there. We pray that you'd bless the time that we have there, bless the work of our hands. And, Lord, I pray that you would accomplish everything that you want to do during that time. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, guys, I am so excited about all that God is doing here at Grace Life and around the world. And today's message is going to be about one of the ways that God uses his church to reach our world. But before we get started, let me start with a, kind of a funny story. At least I hope it's a funny story. So there was a sailor one time, and he was coming back in from a long journey at sea. And when he got to the docks, he saw a pirate ship docked there. And he thought to himself, oh man, I'm gonna have to see one of these pirate guys, I'm sure, some point in the city. And, and so sure enough, that night he goes to the local tavern, goes to the local restaurant, and he sees, when he walks in, a pirate sitting at one of the tables. But he sees that this pirate has a peg leg, and so you know, interest gets a little bit better of him, and, and he goes over and he goes, hey, could you tell me how it is you got that peg leg, the sailor says to the pirate. And the pirate's like, well, you see, son, arr, you know, all, all pirates, I say, arr. They are. And uh, he said, well, one day the ship was in a, in a bad spot in the sea and the bad weather came in and the storm came in and I was thrown off the ship before my crew could pull me back in. A shark came up and bit me leg clean off. 
have peg leg now. Man, the sailor's like, I can't believe it. Oh my gosh, he's got a peg leg. Then he also noticed he has a hook for a hand. So we, you know, he's got to know about that too. So the sailor asked the pirate, hey, tell me about how you got this hook for your hand. And the pirate's, ah, he goes, one day I was in a place just like this. He goes, and I was doing a little bit of gambling and I, and I, lost, my, I lost the bet and I didn't want to pay. So they, they pulled my hand across the table and chopped my hand clean off and I've had this hook ever since. Well, one more thing, the sailor knows he has a patch. He's got one eye. So he's got to ask him about that too. And so he, he asked the pirate, he goes, well, could you tell me about that, about your patch? You only have one eye. How'd that happen? And so the, the pirate, he kind of puts his head down. He's looking a little bit, a little discouraged, you know, a little embarrassed. And he said, well, one day I was looking up in the sky and a, a seagull flew over and one of his droppings landed right in the eye. And he's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You lost your eye from a dropping? He goes, arr, it was the first day with me hook. You know, he's, I mean, you know, he's wiped that out your eye, you know. You know, he's never had a hook before. So, he's, yeah, that's horrible. I mean, that's just... Can tell that joke today, and I hope the people that you tell it to laugh more than, yeah, maybe. Listen, today we're gonna to be talking about outreach, and I'm excited for it because outreach has always been a big part of my heart. It's been a big part of the call that God's called me to. Um, not only am I the executive pastor here, but I'm also the pastor of outreach. And the reason that is, is because when I started to work here with Pastor Jimmy, that I've always had a heart for the nations. I've always had a heart for my local city, but I've always had a heart to see God and his kingdom advanced all across the planet. I wanna start by looking at what the Bible tells, not just me, but the Bible tells each and every person in this room about sharing the good news of Jesus. And we see it in Mark 16. This is Jesus talking. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, it's the good news of Jesus, to the whole creation. That's a big vision. <laughs> Let me read it again. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So what is all the world? Is that just Columbia? No, it's all the world. South Carolina, no, all the world. The United States, no, all the world. North America, no, all the world. And do what? Proclaim the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus to the whole creation. It's talking about people. So just a certain group of people? No, every group of people. So what Jesus calls us to do, it's a big vision. It's a big mission that he calls the church to. He calls the church, us, his people. He says to go into all the world, every place on the planet to share the good news to every single people in the world, on the planet, in every time period in history. I mean, like forever, always. This is what I want you to do. Does that make you a little bit nervous? <laughs> Maybe a little excited? Maybe a little bit of both. I loved missions, like I said, when I was growing up. In fact, when I was 15 years old, I got an opportunity to be able to go on my first mission trips. I went to Paraguay, South America. I was 15, I went there for about 10 days. In fact, I liked it so much, four months later, I went back for six weeks. Uh, it wasn't part of the mission organization. I don't know how, but I talked my parents into letting me go to a foreign country for six weeks and them not even knowing. They literally dropped me, and we were living in Florida at the time. They dropped me off at the airport in Miami and said, okay, I'll see you in six weeks. That's literally how it went down. Uh, it's a little different maybe today, but that's just how it worked for me. I was excited. I went there and got an opportunity. I got to you know, speak in a couple churches and do some work there in Paraguay. It was cool. Unfortunately, I brought back more than just the, the favor of God on the trip. I brought back hepatitis too. Uh, so when they tell you don't drink the water and you go somewhere, you should listen because I didn't. Uh, I brought back hepatitis and uh, in 10 days, I lost 35 pounds as a skinny 15-year-old, well now 16-year-old kid because I turned 16 on that trip. And I thought to myself, is this what mission work is all about, you know? 
But I was excited and, and God birthed something in my heart for the nations and he birthed something in my heart for, for God's people and for people that needed him and need to hear from him. Uh, and really it had to do with what I'm gonna read to you in this next verse. Cause you might hear that first uh, verse in Mark and you might think to yourself, Eric, look, there's no way I'm gonna be able to do this because if I did, I can't go by myself and, and there's not gonna be anybody that's gonna help me. Don't worry, God had that figured out. Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, meaning that big vision that God has planned for us, we're not gonna have to do it alone. He's gonna be right there. And you will be my witnesses, witnesses of the gospel, the way we live. It's gonna be a lot about what we talk about today. And The life in which we live is the witness to the gospel that God has called us to live. Where in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world, ends of the earth. Again, just this idea that everywhere we go, God has called us to be the light of the world. This is the commission of the church. It's the body of Christ. And as such, it's incumbent upon every follower of Jesus to share their faith. Every person should feel some responsibility and calling to share the good news of Jesus that they encounter on their path. Each one of us should. And you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. There's a verse in Isaiah that I wanna share with you. It's a promise. It shows how God's favor is on those that fulfill his commission. We see in Isaiah 52, it says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. He's talking about all of us who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. It's a great promise and blessing to the church. But speaking of the church, let me ask you a question. And I'm wondering, I wish I had time to grab a mic and just get everyone's answer in the room. We won't do that. Some of you are like, please don't do that. I don't want to talk at the mic, you know? I think they say like one of the top three fears of everybody is to speak in public. So we, we won't make you do that anyways. But uh, if I ask you a question, where is the church? I wonder what our answers would be. You know, our address here at the building is 501 Clemson, uh, Columbia, South Carolina. I mean, is that the church? It's, it's the church building, but where is the church? Maybe if I ask it another way, what is the church? Is, is it the services that we do? Is that the church? You know, the truth is, and, and I know you already know this, but the church is God's people. It's people, it's me and it's you. Uh, we gather together in this building, and while we're in this building, we have services together. That's also true. But the church is people. So where is the church when we're not gathering together in service? Well, the church is out there on Monday and Tuesday and on Wednesday. That, that's where we're at. We're out doing things around the world. In fact, if you work a 40-hour work week, you live 15 minutes away, you commute 15 minutes, and you take a two-week vacation that means that you spend 2,125 hours a year at work. So many hours you spend, 2,125 hours if all those things are true, which is probably close for much pe most people, although you might say, I work 50 or 60 hours a week, so of course that number goes up quite a bit. Now, you spend roughly 75 hours a week in a church service. And I'm talking about getting your kids ready, driving over here, total time spent if you come most weeks. So on one side, you have 2,125 hours a week that you're, you're out and you're, you're investing your time into whatever it is you do. And then you have 75 hours a week that you're investing your time here. So does God care about your work or does he only care about the 75 hours or so a week that we're here worshiping together? You know, the church in the Bible, the word church in the Bible is a Greek word and it's the word ekklesia, ekklesia. It means the called out ones. 
It's talking about the people that God rescues and he redeems and, and he sets his light in, which we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But what he does is he calls out those that are in the darkness to be his light. And then what does he do? He sends them back into the darkness so that their light might shine amongst the darkness. Now on Monday, the church is at work. That's where the church is. So what does that mean? It means that if you're a painter, the church is painting. That's what the church is actually doing. That's what we're doing, right? If you're a member of the church and the church is a painter and you're painting a wall on Monday morning and that's your job, the church of God is painting. If you're a doctor, that means that the church is seeing patients. If you're a mechanic, that means that the church is fixing cars. If you're a stay-at-home parent and you're with your kids, that means that the church is raising children and raising kids. If you're a teacher, that means that the church is teaching kids. If you're at the grocery store, that means that the church is shopping and so on and so forth. That's where the church is. Now, we're not against buildings at all here at Grace Life. They're very helpful. I love comfy seats and ACs. And, you know, in another month from now, when it's like 100 degrees outside and it's Columbia, South Carolina weather, and, you know, we're, we're, we're thankful for the building, right? Amen. It's okay. I'm thankful for the comfy seats that we get to sit on in here. I do. I love them. And I think buildings are a great tool that God uses to gather the church and to reach people. In fact, I think that God's going to continue to bless us in the area. You saw all those numbers that I just shared. I think the buildings are going to grow. Locations are going to grow. I think it's God's plan to see his church grow. That's what we read in just a minute ago. But for the rest of this message, I want to talk to you about what the church is doing when we're not here in one of the buildings where we worship together. I'm going to use two words interchangeably. One is workplace and the other is marketplace. Now, any, this is how I'm going to define that. Any place where work is performed or people prepare for work, whether they are paid or not. Now, we all know that Jesus is the founder of the church. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. But have you ever thought for a second that his stepfather was a carpenter. That's what Jesus' stepfather, Joseph. Joseph and Mary, I call Joseph's stepfather because we know that uh, Jesus uh, was you know, placed in Mary and a virgin. So his stepfather really is Joseph and he was a carpenter and he was trained in the marketplace for business. Jesus was. Before his public ministry, do you know that Jesus already had 20 years of business experience because he was trained as a carpenter? Jesus had one message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he spoke that message through a series of business analogies. I'm going to give you a list of some of these sermons that we're supposed to live out as godly men and women in front of the people that we do life with every single day. You might be surprised in some of the analogies that he used. One of them we see in Matthew 20. And it's a, it's, a, it's a parable or it's a story, it's a teaching about labor and management. Like labor and management, what story is that you're talking about, Eric? It's the story of the vineyard. So there were some people that needed to work and they went to the owner of a vineyard. They went early in the morning and the owner of the vineyard said, sure, I'll put you to work and here's the amount of money that I will pay you for your day's wage. They agree to it and they go out and they start to work. Well, there's some other people that come midday about lunchtime and they talk to the vineyard owner and there's a certain amount that they agree to and so they go off to work. Well, the third group comes like at the end of the day, maybe an hour left. I mean, think about it. You've been working all day long, maybe all week long, and, and, and now there's some folks that come and they start to work at the very end of the day and they agree to a certain amount of money and they start to work. The funny thing is, the money that they agree to is all the same amount. <laughs> so the people that start at the beginning of the day 
when they realized that, they expected to get more money at the end of the day because they worked longer than everybody else. And the owner of the vineyard said, hey, you agreed to this, so you should go on your way and be happy because this is the amount you agreed to work with. You see some teaching there that maybe Jesus is trying to help us understand in labor and management, both maybe as an employer, as an employee, as a boss, as a person that's working, as a person that's starting. As a, like, it, it's interesting as you start to see some of the things and the ways that Jesus tried to teach us. And it goes on and on throughout the New Testament. I don't know if you've ever picked up on some of this. We see in Matthew 21 about a family-owned business, a hostile takeover in Luke 20. Return on investments in Matthew 25. Crop yield in Mark 13. Management criteria in Luke 12. Future markets in Luke 12. Need for observation and research in Luke 14. Bankruptcy and misuse of money in Luke 15. Advantage of leverage in Luke 16. Venture capital and high-risk situations in Luke 19. And the list could go on and on and on. Thanks to Ed Silvoso and his book, Anointed for Business, we see this list and many, many more. But here's another question you might have. Okay, Eric, well, that's all well and good, but what about the early church leaders? I mean, they were religiously trained. Maybe one of the first names that come to your mind is Peter. Peter and Andrew, they were professional fishermen. That's what they did. They were professional fishermen. James and John, they were also fishermen. Matthew worked for the IRS of the day. They're like, what? Jesus called somebody that worked for the IRS? It's true. You know, we're all thinking, is there somebody right now that worked? Uh, that's sitting around me that works for the IRS. Don't look at them if you know what it is. I'm just telling you, the people at the end of the road, they don't like you. I'm sorry, I like you. I don't know why they don't like you. Listen, there's reason to believe that Mark may have been from a wealthy family, but was unemployed at the time that Jesus called him. Luke was a doctor. Lydia was a wealthy business owner. Barnabas was a businessman from Cyprus who had land holdings in Jerusalem. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. The Ethiopian eunuch was in charge of the treasury for Queen Candace. I think Paul, finally we get to Paul. Paul was religiously trained and he was a Pharisee, but he had to go back to tent making. Why? Because he was ousted by the clergy. The church threw him out. It's interesting when you start to look at all the different ways that God chooses to use and teach us through his word. For the first 100 years, God did establish religiously trained leaders in the church, but not to do ministry to act as equippers and coaches so that the church could be the church in the marketplace, in the workplace. Why? Because church is people. And where are people most of the time? They're at work. They're out working and doing their lives in all different places around the planet. I don't know if you know this or not, but there were 40 miraculous events that took place in the book of Acts. 29 of them took place in the workplace. You know, it could be that we're looking for great moves of God, which we should, but maybe God's planning for them to show up in a different environment than what we're expecting. Maybe the next miracle you're gonna see is gonna happen around the lunchroom table as you pray for one of your coworkers that's in desperate need for God to show up in their lives. I'm not saying it can't happen here at the end when we ask for people to come up and pray. Please do come down. We want to pray with you. But maybe there's other opportunities and other situations that God wants to use us in. See, this was God's plan from the very beginning. And we see the same thing all throughout the Old Testament as well. But here's the big question, really is why did God take this approach? Because the marketplace is the battleground. Satan does not want the church in the marketplace. Our enemy does not want the church in the marketplace. The darkest places on the planet are where the church is not yet. 
right here as we gather together as the church in this room and we worship God, there's, there, and as it should be, there's so much light. There's so much opportunity. There's so much Jesus here. The Holy Spirit is here with us because we all gather together as we know him, we worship him, we celebrate him, we experience him. It's fantastic. I love it. It's one of my favorite experiences during my week. But then during the week, as we go out into the world and we are the light of God, God calls us to fight the enemy in our schools and not to hide our faith when we go to work. Why? Because we have to take the fight to him where the darkness is. This is our opportunity to get filled up so that when we go, we have some light left as if it were to be able to go and shine and show the world who Jesus is. But what stops us from doing it? Honestly, I think most of us know that to be true inside of our hearts, but why don't we step into that opportunity and that role and that authority more? Here's what I wanna talk about the rest of our time today. I think there's at least four lies that our enemy or Satan wants you to believe, but I wanna combat them with four truths that we find in scripture. Here's the first lie. The first lie is this, God intended a clear divide between pastors and people. See, many people believe that pastors do the work and the people watch. It's all about what happens here on the stage. If, if the pastor can preach a good message, then, then everything will be okay. And listen, we want our pastors to preach good messages. I want to preach a great message from the Bible right now. It's very important. But I want you to know that everyone, this is the truth, is called by God to ministry, not just pastors not just the people you see on stage, not just missionaries that travel around the world. No, everyone is. We see this in Ephesians. Paul, this is Paul speaking. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Now you might not want that calling. <laughs> I can understand. A prisoner for the Lord. Is like, God, is there another calling you could give me? I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. There's a way in which we should walk. Not only do we have a calling, but there's a way in which we should walk. It should be worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, gives us some ways in which we're supposed to do it, with patience, bearing with one another in love, right? Need to be patient, not quick to get angry at the person. They don't do what we like. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. I don't want you to think for a second that only pastors or people in ministry are called. That's not true. Every single person sitting in this room right now is called by God to do what it is that God's called you to do, no different than what God's called me to do. It's no different. It's an equal playing field. It's equal levels of calling. The difference is that God has called me to be an equipper and a trainer so that way people can go and do the work of ministry. The church can go and do the work of ministry. Sometimes, and I have my own spheres of influence, right? We'll talk about that in a minute, outside of even like the church staff and training and things like that. But when I was a kid, I used to think I would be a missionary that would go and travel around the world. God's changed that and I've understood my call a little bit more. Now I understand that God's called me to do training and equipping and coaching instead of actually going out. Sometimes, if I'm not careful, I can actually get sad about that because I think to myself, God, could you just let me go and go do the work? That's... And God's like, no, I've, I've called you for this. See, we all have a specific calling from God. Everyone is called by God to do ministry. The second lie is this. Work is not spiritual, only sacred work is spiritual. Kind of ties together with what we were just talking about. And here's the truth behind that lie. All work is spiritual and honors God when it is done with integrity. All work is spiritual. What does that mean? It means that when you go to work, 
on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and you show up on time and you work to the end of the time in which before you're supposed to leave, that's, that's spiritual. It honors God when it's done with integrity. How about when you're cutting your grass, something as simple as that? You go out, you start your lawnmower, you, you cut your grass, your neighbors are watching. You know, you, you, you're doing your work even around your house with integrity to honor God. Why? Because it's something that you're doing in that whatever it is you put your hands on, what about when you go to school and you have a big exam coming up? You're going to study hard. You're going to pay attention to what the professor says. You're going to read the work. You're going to, you're going to work through all the, the lecture notes or whatever it is that you have. You're going to study. You're going to take that test. You're going, to, you're going to study. You're going to do everything you can with the best of your ability. Look at what Colossians 3 says. Whatever you do, not some of what you do, not just when you're in church on services on Sunday mornings, not just when you're sharing your faith, not just when you're having a conversation with that family member you know that you need to have about their broken marriage. No, not just those things, but whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Everything that we do, we work unto the Lord, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So there's even an added benefit there you are serving the Lord Christ. Salvation is a free gift from Jesus. 100% it's a free gift. But a reward in heaven has to do at least in part with what we do here. It's not just about the 75 hours a year that you're in the service. Mainly, a lot of it has to do with what we do with all of the rest. Line number three is this. Worship is only singing and it is done in a religious building. Worship is only singing and it's done in a religious building. Here's the truth. Worship is how you live your life before all. It's how you live your life before all. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's what we do before all. Living when? It's living now, right now. You're gonna go out from the service and you're gonna live your life. You're gonna do some things. You're gonna get up in the morning, you're gonna go to work, you're gonna stay at home, you're gonna take care of your kids, you're gonna teach. You're gonna get your car fixed, the mechanic's gonna repair it, maybe you're the mechanic. All the things that we're gonna do this week, we're gonna live our life before all. How? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Many times we think work is just practical. Church is spiritual. No, it says it's your spiritual worship. Both of my older boys, they both work at Chick-fil-A. Um, they've worked there for a while now. They enjoy it. They like it. They both like uh, what's called front of house more than back of house. Uh, front of house is when you're with all the people. Back of house is when you're back cooking. And so they just like being at front of house more. Um, in fact, I was talking about this in a previous service, and my son said, the way you described the kitchen dad was all wrong. So you've got to fix it for the next service. If anybody's out there and works at Chick-fil-A, they're going to know that it's not right. What, what I said is that uh, sometimes when he's in the kitchen, he breads the chicken and then he puts it in the fryer. He's like, dad, that's not safe, that's unhealthy. Like, if you bread the chicken, you never work the fryer. The people doing the chicken never touch the fryer. I was like, okay, son, I'm sorry. So listen, that's not true. I mean, Chick-fil-A does it right, okay? But some of the times what he's gotta do is just like one thing all day long. In fact, he was telling me this weekend as I was asking, hey, tell me some of the other things that you do there at Chick-fil-A. One day for six hours, all he did is he just toasted Chick-fil-A buns. Like, that's it. So you, you, he got a bun or you know, a set of buns or whatever out of the package and then he put it in the toaster. The toaster thing rolls down, it gets toasted and then he sets it to the side for the next person to grab it and to make the sandwich. Six hours, grab a buns, put them up there, come down, like six hours, that's it. One spot, one motion, didn't move. Six hours, right? He's like, 
God, that does not feel, he said, Dad, that does not feel like I'm giving God worship in the way that I'm created to do these. I'm like, but it is, son. It is. Every single time one of those pieces of bread comes down and it's toasted just the right way and you're doing it the way you're supposed to and you're honoring the work that you have and, and, and you're doing it unto the Lord, you are honoring God by toasting those buns for six hours. He's like, is that true? I'm like, it's true, son. It's what the Bible teaches us to honor our lives as living sacrifices. Does that mean that there's also a time in which we're gonna gather together and sing and worship? Of course. Is there a time to actually share your faith and open up your mouth? Yes, of course, all of that. But it all works together. Regardless of what it is that we do each and every day of our lives, we do it as a living sacrifice before God because it is our spiritual worship unto God. Even those basic things, it's crazy how God calls. In fact, I think some of what we really want to do is probably tied to some of the things we don't want to do in our lives. I think God looks at that. He sees us. He, he, he understands when we're giving our worship in the areas where people see and maybe sometimes where we're not giving our air worship to him in the areas where people don't see or we think it doesn't matter, I think. Uh, line number four, non-religious business and work is not ministry. Here's the truth. Your congregation, the people that you're around is comprised of the people in your sphere. You might say to yourself, well, you know, Eric, I mean, come on. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's what I do all day. It's, you know, I work here, I do that. You know, it's not the same thing as a church service or things like, no. Listen, Matthew 5, this is important. This is about the darkness and the light. Matthew 5, 14 says, you are the light of the world. Wait a minute, you're talking about Jesus there, right? No, he's talking to you. He's talking to the people of God. He says, you are the light of the world. I thought Jesus was the light of the world. He is, but he's living inside of you. It's interesting what this verse is about to say. He's calling you the light of the world, meaning that how is the, the darkness in the world gonna experience the light? By you. It's God's plan. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. It cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. See, God hasn't created you, he hasn't called you, he hasn't filled you with light that you might go and separate yourself from the darkness. You're not gonna be the darkness, but as the light, you're gonna shine in the darkness, and that way the darkness becomes light. Why? Because you're there. You might say to yourself, Eric, you don't understand my neighbor. <laughs> you don't understand the guy that I'm living next to. I mean, this dude, he's horrible. I mean, this guy's dark. Uh, man, the things that he does and says, the conversations that we've had, his past, his history, what he's involved in right now, that person that works two offices down or the cubicle next to me, man, what they look at at their computer screen all day long, I can't, even, I can't even talk to them at lunch. You don't get it. You know what I think? I think God puts people with light next to the darkest people on the planet on purpose because he knows that you are the light of the world. I think, I think that he's put you next to that house that you think is so dark on the neighborhood because he knows you are his light and he's put you right next to them that you might shine as a bright light inside of a desperately dark situation. Verse 16, it says, if you can put that back up, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Where would you let it shine? Here in this room? Yeah, but all around the planet. Why? So that they may see your good works. For you? No. Why? To give glory to your Father who's in heaven. See, that's why we do what we do. That's why we present our bodies as living sacrifices, because we want people to understand who Jesus is living inside of us. The mission of the church is to advance the kingdom of God in your sphere of influence. What does that include? 
includes your school, your workplace, your family, the marketplace, the grocery store, everywhere. You were taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light for this purpose. That's why God's called you. And he knows that you can do it. He trusts you. He, 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 he has decided to put all the eggs in one basket, which is his church. There is no plan B. There's only plan A, and it's us. He has filled us with his light. That way we might go into the uttermost parts of the world and shine in where the darkest places are. That might be your neighbor. That might be the person that works just down the street from you. That might be the, the doctor that you go and you see you know, once a month or once a quarter on your checkups. Whatever it is, just remember that that is why you were taken out of the kingdom of darkness, that you might be the light to advance the kingdom of God everywhere on the planet. Now, some of us might believe that and step into that, but you say, Eric, I just need just something a little more. Remember Acts 1.8. The Holy Spirit's gonna come on you that you might receive power that you can be ministers of the gospel of the word. You get to do that. The Holy Spirit can come on each and every one of us in every situation that we might have that opportunity. So what I wanna do here now at the end of the message is I just wanna pray. And I hope that you'll pray with me and ask the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you with that same kind of faith and same kind of power that he offers to everybody that we see worked out all in the New Testament. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me, Father? I come before you, Lord, and I thank you, God. And maybe this is just your prayer to God. You just say, God, I need that power. I understand what the Bible says, and that all makes sense in my mind, but then walking it out every day of my life, whew, that's tough. <laughs> And it's tough. If you feel like you can't do it yourself, you're in a good spot because that's exactly how God wants you to feel because he wants you to come to him. We're not meant to do it ourselves. We're meant to be empowered by his presence, by his spirit, so that way we can walk out and fulfill what he's called us to. So God, we come before you. We thank you, God, for who you are. We pray that you would fill us, that you would empower us. We ask you, God, to come to share your presence with us to fill us with your power everywhere we go, Lord. Whether it is we're making chicken at Chick-fil-A, Lord, whether we're a painter or a mechanic or a doctor, Lord, you, we know that you've called us for a time like this, that we might be your light into a dark world. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord. It's not something we dread. We say thank you, Lord, that you use us and we get reward for it too. What an amazing God you are. Well, maybe you're here today. You've been talking about all this stuff, but you don't really feel close to God. And in fact, you may feel far from him. I wanna give you an opportunity to draw close to him by making him your king, your Lord, your savior. Or maybe you felt like at one point you were close, but now you've drifted away a bit. You're like, yeah, Eric, the truth is, I'm kind of far from God right now. I don't wanna be there, but it's just where I find myself in my place in life right now. I'm gonna say a simple prayer and I'm gonna ask you to say those words after me if you wanna come back or if you just wanna make Jesus your king today, maybe for the very first time, just say something like this under your breath. Dear God, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross on my behalf. And I put my trust and my faith and my hope in what Jesus did and not on what I've been doing. I repent of the things that I've done wrong and I ask you to forgive me. I thank you, Lord. Help me to live a new life full of faith, God, where I get to walk in your ways and live for your purposes. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, guys, let's put our hands together for all those who are praying.